Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Gotta go to God's Word right now. We're moving quickly towards the end of Paul's epistle to the Romans. And today we come to a very important section of Romans that essentially teaches us not only how to survive disagreements. You have any of those in your life? The disagreements with others? This section of Romans teaches us not only how to survive disagreements and differences of opinion in the church, but it teaches us how we can thrive in the midst of disagreements and differences of opinion in the church. And so this is a much needed passage of scripture for us. And I love going verse by verse and line by line through the scriptures because you always land in some portion of scripture that you need to hear from. And that's where we are today. So I want you to take your Bibles right away and go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And if you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand and one of the ushers at the back would love to put a copy of God's word into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We'd love you to take it home and read it and have your life changed by it. By the way, if you're visiting with us, we're a Bible church. I'm not up here trying to entertain you. We're going to go to the, the word of God and we're going to read it and expound it, and, and I need you to have your eyes on it as well. You need to check if this preacher is telling you something from the book and not just from his own mind. Amen? Amen. All right. So Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 12, the title of the message today is this, Pursuing Unity When We Disagree, part one. We're going to pick it up again next week in part two, starting from verse one in Romans 14. This is what the apostle Paul writes. He says this, He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, watch this, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse five. One person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? 
or we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. All right, there's, there's a lot in this passage of scripture that I'm gonna be explaining to you and I pray that I'll be able to explain it to you in a way that the Holy Spirit will use it, empower it, and strengthen it to be applied to your life, to my life, and to our church. Uh, when we face disagreements, how do we pursue unity in the midst of that? That's the question we're asking. So pursuing unity when we disagree about disputable uh, matters. Here's point number one, if you're making notes. Uh, point number one is this. Uh, welcome one another and don't fight over opinions. All right, three truths coming from these 12 verses today. Truth number one is this exhortation. Welcome one another and don't fight over opinions. I want to start by defining some terms for us. We need to understand the passage of scripture in its context, and then we'll draw the truth from the text. I want you to know that here in Romans 14, Paul is addressing two groups of people within the church at Rome who have different opinions about a few different issues. And these two differing opinions, these two camps in the church at Rome, uh, they're not very unified because they disagree about things and it's creating a lot of chaos and disruption and disunity in the church. That's what's happening here. And so the first group of people that Paul is addressing, he calls uh, the weak in faith. These were mainly Jewish Christians who came from a religious culture that held in high regard the dietary laws and holy days found in the law of Moses. I want you to notice it in verse one. Look at your Bible. Paul writes, as for the one who is, notice this, weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. Now, important for us to understand that when Paul refers to the one who is weak in faith, he's describing people in the church whose conscience is not allowing them to do a particular thing. That's what he's talking about. They, they are people who have a sensitive conscience. They have a delicate conscience. Perhaps we can call it a conscience that is not fully as informed theologically as it can be for them in this case, they were convinced that it would be wrong to do away with the Jewish dietary restrictions and the holy day observances. That's the first group of people that Paul is addressing. He's talking to those who are weak in faith, those who have a delicate conscience. But the second group of people that Paul is addressing, he calls the strong. The strong, I want you to notice it in verse two. Paul writes, now, one believes he may eat anything, that's the strong, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, it's not until chapter 15 that Paul actually uses the words the strong. This is what he's referring to here in verse 2. And in fact, Paul himself, you'll see later, associates himself with this group. Now, important for us to understand also that when Paul refers to the strong, he's describing people in the church whose conscience does not hinder them from doing a particular thing freely. Now, these are people 
who have a more mature conscience, you can say, a more theologically informed conscience. For them, in this case, they were confident that the Jewish dietary laws and the holy day observances were not binding and that in fact, Jesus had declared all foods to be clean in Mark chapter seven and elsewhere. And so they didn't feel hindered in any way to, in this case, eat meat or to consider all days as holy and consecrated unto the Lord, not just the Sabbath. So the conflict here in Romans 14 is between these two groups of people, the weak in faith, Paul calls them, and the strong. And they are groups that are landing with very different opinions about things. Some in the church are bound by their conscience not to eat meat, to continue observing special holy days while others in the church are quite fine eating meat and convinced that in the new covenant, all days are equally consecrated to the Lord. This is the difference of opinion that Paul is calling them to stop quarreling over. He's saying, don't fight about this. Now, before we continue to the next verses, it's very important for us to clarify what exactly Paul means by opinions, opinions, when he exhorts the church not to quarrel over opinions. Because as we'll see in this text, Paul seems to be leaving a lot of room for a difference of opinion here. You need to pay attention to that. And not only is he leaving a lot of room for a difference of opinion, the, the thrust of the text, the thrust of what he's writing is actually a bringing together of these two groups of people in unity and in love and in acceptance, these two different groups who have been divided over their opinions. Now Paul's leaving room for their opinions and he's going a step further saying, no, no your difference of opinion doesn't need to divide you. He's writing so that they, they can be united. They can come together. So what exactly is the nature of this difference of opinion? I got some help from an author, Andy Nacelli, in his book, Conscience. He helps us to understand the different categories in which to place certain issues in order to help us know how to handle specific disagreements in the church. Now, this is really, really important for us, and this will be very applicable to you. On the screen for you, Andy Nacelli wrote this. He wrote, first level issues, as he calls them, are most central and essential to Christianity. You can't deny these teachings and still be a Christian in any meaningful sense, he says. For example, there is one God in three persons. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Jesus sacrificially died for sinners. These are all, as Andy Nacelli calls, um, first level issues, essential issues, critical to the Christian faith. This is not what Paul is talking about here. He's not leaving room for people to kind of, you, you can think what you want about the deity of Jesus. And if you don't think Jesus is God here, you're fine over there. We need to unite. That's not what he's talking about here. Not first level issues. Andy Nacelli goes on on the screen. He says, second level issues create reasonable boundaries between Christians, such as different denominations and local churches. These issues will have a bearing on what sort of church you're part of. 
For example, what's your view on baptism or church government or God's sovereignty and salvation? You don't have to hold one particular view to be a Christian, but it's challenging for a church to have a healthy unity when its leaders and members disagree on these matters. This level is also not what Paul is talking about here. But then Andy Nacelli goes on on the screen for you to describe third level issues. He says, third level issues are, watch this, disputable matters, also called matters of indifference or conscience. They might involve how you interpret particular passages of the Bible. For example, who are the sons of God in Genesis 6? There are more than one viable view. Third level issues also include many practical questions. For example, how should a Christian view the Sabbath? Is it okay on Sundays to go to a public restaurant or watch a football game or mow your lawn? Disputable matters aren't unimportant. That's important. But members of the same church should be able to disagree on these issues and still have close fellowship with each other. This is very helpful and very helpful for us today to understand our passage because these are the issues, these are the opinions that the Apostle Paul is talking about. This is what he's addressing here in Romans 14. So here's a question for you. Can you think of any third level issues today that have created a significant amount of tension or disunity in your relationships or in our church or in the church? Can you think of any third level issues, disputable Matters. I can think of one, and let me just share one with you to help you bring application here. Let's take one example that's been prominent over the last little while. Let's take the question of COVID-19 vaccinations. Now, already some of you just want to jump back out of your chair. Already some of you are traumatized because of conversations you've had or, or, or very seriously because of some serious things that have happened in your life as a result of this, this discussion. Well, everywhere you look over the past two years, there's been a strong push to take the COVID-19 vaccination for a wide range of reasons. And everywhere you look, you can also find very strong pushback against taking the COVID-19 vaccination. All right, you know what I'm talking about. You're very aware. Should a Christian feel compelled to take the COVID-19 vaccination? Does it demonstrate that they somehow love people more than those who don't take it? Does it demonstrate maybe more responsibility and integrity for a Christian to take the COVID-19 vaccination? Or should a Christian resist taking the COVID-19 vaccination? Does not taking it demonstrate more wisdom somehow, more understanding, more intelligence, more of a critical approach to the, to the research? Well, I'm pausing right now because I know you're answering the question in your own mind and some of you are answering it with a very strong opinion. There are very strong opinions on both sides. 
and many layers of complexity to the discussion as well. But here's a question. Is the issue of vaccinations an important issue? Of course it is. Does our health and safety matter? Absolutely. Should we always be pursuing truth in a matter such as this? 100%. Is this a first or even second level issue that's essential to our faith or even instructive for how we should live in the church community? Not even close. Is that new for you? Because some are approaching the issue with an opinion and some are shaking the fist. Maybe over the past two years, everyone should get the COVID-19 vaccination and you're shaking your fist as if it's a first level or even a second level issue. And some are stepping to the plate and say, oh, okay, well, <laughs> you're shaking your fist and saying, you should absolutely not take this vaccine. Are you crazy? You are crazy if you take this vaccination. And you're shaking your fist and talking about it as if it's a first or second level issue. Why does this matter? Why does the placement of this issue matter? Well, the placement of it matters because Churches are dividing about these things or have been. I have, I'm privileged to have a lot of pastor friends in the city and in the GTA. And over the last two years, I've been talking with a lot of pastor friends. And it seems like the consensus is in every church or at least in every conversation I've had with every pastor that I've spoken to, in every church, pastors have been grieved by the disunity that this particular issue, and there's many more, but this particular issue has caused. And every pastor I talk to says, man, we, we lost some really good people because of this issue. They left our church and they went to another because of this issue. It's just one example of how understanding first, second, and third level issues need to inform how we relate. This is what Paul is talking about here. And Paul in Romans 14, he's not propagating, dividing in any way, shape, or form over these things. What Paul is essentially saying here is when it comes to disputable matters, when it comes to issues of conscience, Stop fighting over your opinions. Place your opinion in the right category and hold your opinion with tremendous humility and welcome those who disagree with you. Welcome, it means accept those who disagree with you. He's picking up on what we talked about last week. Pay the debt you owe to one another to love each other, to love those who disagree with you. I'm aware there's so much more we can say about the issue of vaccination. I know that we can say so much about masking, but what I want us to focus on today is the question that Paul is addressing in the text. What should we do 
And how should we relate to one another when we disagree on third level issues such as this? Look at verse three. Look at verse three. Paul says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Notice this now, for God has welcomed him. God has welcomed him. In other words, Paul is saying, stop imposing your freedoms and your convictions on one another because when you do so, you're actually harmfully trying to bind someone else's conscience. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't fight about these things. Paul says, if you feel free to eat meat, don't stand under over those whose conscience restrains them in arrogance. That's what it means to not to despise. Paul says, if you feel constrained by your conscience not to eat meat, don't look down at others with judgmentalism. That's what he means by don't pass judgment. He's talking to the people in the church. A bunch of Jewish Christians sitting at the table. And they would, this would have been a big deal for them. This would be a big part of their church life was eating together. This was no small thing. And when they come to the table, there's the Jewish Christians with the Jewish background. And when the meat comes to the table, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not right. And the person who's serving is like, what's up with you? This is awesome. This is awesome meat. And some get up and throw up their hands and they want to leave the table because they're upset. Paul says, if your conscience restrains you from eating meat, don't pass judgment on those whose conscience is liberated to go ahead with it. This is a disputable matter. It's an issue of conscience. And it ought not to divide. Instead, instead of despising each other, instead of passing judgment on each other, welcome one another, accept one another. Don't allow these conscience issues to divide you because God himself has welcomed us all. That's awesome. God himself has welcomed us all. Notice it in verse four. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Loved ones, when we impose our opinions on one another, we stand arrogantly and we stand judgmentally over one another, specifically in disputable matters. When we do that, we are essentially putting ourselves in the place of God. And Paul says, who exactly are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? This person that you're passing judgment on, this person that you're despising, they are the servant of God. And by the way, their master has accepted them. So why can't you? In verse three, Paul says that God has accepted each one. Why can't you? 
And that's the question, isn't it? That's the question. If God has accepted each one, why can't we accept each other? Oh, how easy it is for those of us with maybe a stronger conscience to stand over those who disagree with a sense of theological superiority. Have you ever felt that creep up on you? Yeah, you may have your Bible in hand. You may have the passages of Scripture rehearsed. You may have it all together. But when it comes to a disputable matter, if you're just going after someone else who disagrees with you and trying to convince them and trying to sway them, and, and in doing so, you're violating, you're, you're trying to bind their conscience, you are acting arrogantly with a sense of theological superiority. We should humble ourselves. Or how easy it is for those of us maybe with a more delicate conscience to stand over those who disagree with a judgmental heart as if we answer to one another. No, Paul says that it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Pursuing unity when we disagree about disputable matters is truth number one. Welcome one another and don't fight over opinions. Okay, so before I go to truth number two, before I go to point number two, I just need you to examine your heart. Is there a relationship in your life, maybe a relationship in this church Maybe a church that you walked away from and you're visiting here today or whatever. Is there a relationship in your life that you have allowed to be broken? You've allowed it to be broken because of a disagreement about a disputable issue. Maybe someone in the room today that needs to pick up the phone immediately after the service send a text message or an email or just the good old-fashioned way, dial the number and call. and Say, listen, when we, dis- when we had that disagreement and we stopped talking, we haven't talked since then, I'm sorry. I was judging you. I'm sorry for trying to bind your conscience. And maybe they'll turn around and say, hey, it's not just you. I was doing the same. And instead of breaking apart, Paul wants us to unite. He says, welcome the one who is weak in faith, but not to quarrel over opinions. Pursuing unity when we disagree about disputable matters. Welcome one another and don't fight over opinions. Secondly, this, truth number two. People with opposing views can both honor God. People with opposing views can both honor God. Look at verses five and six. Paul writes, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. He's talking about holy days, observances. Then he says, notice this, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. 
The one who observes the day observes it, watch this, in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Very interesting. Very interesting that the Apostle Paul doesn't push the weak in conscience towards the strong position here. Very interesting. Don't miss that. Even though in verse 14, he basically says that the strong position is the correct position. He basically says the strong position is the most theologically informed position. Very fascinating to me that Paul doesn't take the weak in faith and say, hey, by the way, the strong are right here. Get it together and get your mind and your conscience in line. Doesn't do that. What he acknowledges indirectly instead is that all of us have fallen consciences. And all of us have consciences that are gradually and progressively being calibrated and tuned. And because conscience issues are not black and white matters, there's no clear command to obey or clear action being forbidden. When it comes to matters of the conscience, unity demands that we hold our convictions in these matters with great humility. And I want you to see how humble the apostle Paul is being here. He has the apostolic authority to write whatever he wants to this church. But notice the grace and the humility and the compassion of the Apostle Paul. When it comes to matters of the conscience, Paul seems to acknowledge that the thing that matters most is the posture of the heart. That the most important thing is that as he writes, each one should be convinced in his own mind, that's verse five, and that each one honor the Lord and give thanks. That's verse six. What he's saying is you can be on two different sides of the spectrum on a disputable matter, and you can both do it in honor of the Lord. Be convinced in your own mind. Don't be wishy-washy, but be convinced in your own mind. And hold your conviction, your opinion, in honor to the Lord. That's the important thing. What Paul is saying here is remarkable. Both the weak and the strong can honor God and give thanks and have a pure heart and be right with God, even though they hold opposite opinions about a third level disputable matter. He's saying that it is absolutely possible for people with opposing views to both simultaneously honor God and be right with God. This is really important for us. Because again, some of us, you've been duking it out with people. Maybe the vaccination issue is behind you. Maybe it's about masking. Maybe it's something else. But you are, man, you are duking it out and fighting. And the Apostle Paul says, even if your conscience is more calibrated than the weak conscience, they can honor God 
and both can stand right with God. And so, whether, again, the issue is masking or vaccination or public school versus homeschool or having a beer or a glass of wine with dinner or what you should wear or whether or not you should get a tattoo or whatever the disputable issue is, some of you are thinking through that list, is that disputable, is that disputable? Hey, I grew up in the church and I saw a lot of disputable matters being put in category number one, first level issue. If you do this, you're not even a Christian. What? Or if you, if you believe this, then you cannot come to our church. What? Maybe you grew up in a situation like that too. When it comes to issues of conscience, you must be convinced in your own mind as to what is right. And you must understand that someone whose conscience leads them to a different opinion need not be put straight, but rather welcomed, accepted, and loved. Now, does this mean that we can't speak openly about issues and discuss and even engage in healthy, loving, welcoming debate? No, of course not. As long as in the process and in the result, there is acceptance of one another and not quarreling over those opinions. So if you don't, don't hear me say, oh, if someone disagrees with me, I got to back off. I can't say anything to them. I'm not saying that. Talk to each other, sure. But just be careful whether you're crossing the line over trying to bind someone's conscience and operating with judgmentalism or arrogance or theological superiority. You see, loved ones, how understanding this can absolutely unite us. In Paul's mind, the solution to opposing views is not division. It's accepting each other. Not imposing our view on one another as if our way is the only way to please God because whether the strong or the weak, all of us have fallen consciences that are being progressively calibrated and tuned. You may sit here and think to yourself, man, when I was a new Christian, I thought doing X was completely sinful and wrong, even though there was no command in scripture about it or anything being forbidden. But now you've had some years in the faith under your belt and you look back at it and you say, oh, how immature I was. I mean, I was, my conscience stopped me from doing certain things. But now I look back and say, wow, it wasn't, it wasn't really wrong. It wasn't a sin. I'm good now. My conscience is more liberated, more mature now, right? We're growing, all of us, Amen. We're growing. And this is what we need to understand as we seek to pursue unity, specifically when we disagree about disputable matters. Welcome one another and don't fight over opinions. People with opposing views can both honor God. Finally, this, make a note of this. The Lordship of Christ is the key to our unity. The Lordship of Christ is the key to our unity. Look at verses seven to 12. Paul says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to each other? No, to God, to God. Here's the idea in these verses. The key to pursuing unity is found in the truth that we as Christians, every single one of us, our lives are not our own. That's the key here. Our lives are not our own, both in life and in death. We belong to Jesus Christ. And whether, and therefore, excuse me, only he can judge the heart with perfect precision. And he will judge the heart one day. He will. Paul says that we all will have a moment when we will stand before the perfect judge. So Paul says, let's leave the judging to him. Let's leave the judgment to him. He is our master. We are his servants. We belong to him. We answer supremely to him. One day we will stand before him. He is the Lord of our lives while we live. He is the Lord. Even as we die and pass into eternity, he will be the judge. So leave the judging to him. Or pay the debt that you owe to each other, the debt of love. Accept and welcome and receive each other, because after all, this sovereign Lord has accepted you. Amazing, amazing. Think about that next time you're tempted to bind someone else's conscience, that God has accepted you and them. And God has welcomed you and them. God loves you and he loves them. Loved ones, the people that really understand Christ's welcoming acceptance are the people who never dare to stand over others as superior judge over them. Rather, rather, and this is my prayer for us, in humility and in awe together, we accept each other. Amazed again and again, that in Christ, God has accepted and welcomed us. So, there's a lot more we can say about these verses. I'm gonna stop there. And I trust that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and giving you something to think about. And I trust again that where the rubber meets the road in your life, if there are relationships in your life that have been damaged because of a parting of ways based upon a view about a disputable conscience issue, a third level issue, then my loving exhortation to you is that you would run as fast as you can to that person or that family member or that coworker. And you would say, forgive me, I allowed my conscience, the way I viewed things, to separate us. And, and do you have a name yet? Do you have a, someone in your mind yet? 
could it be that God wants to bring people together in probably the most divisive time we've seen in a long time? Is it possible? Absolutely, it's possible in the church. Is it disgraceful when the church doesn't understand these things? Absolutely, it's disgraceful. Is it beautiful when the church understands these things and comes together in love? Absolutely, it's beautiful. And would you pray with me that this is the beauty we continue to see grow and flourish amongst our beautiful church family, the church that God himself has welcomed. I want you to bow your heads with me right now, and I want you to take in your hand the symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I'll ask the team to come to the stage now, but I want you to consider all that we've heard right now as you hold the symbols, the elements in your hand. And as you are prayerful, as you remain focused in this very sacred moment, I want to encourage you, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we welcome you, we love you, we're glad you're here, but this moment is not for you. This is a serious moment for believers and followers of Jesus Christ to remember what Jesus has done for us in our salvation, in his death on the cross, in the imputation of all of our sins upon him, and consequently the imputation of all of his righteousness on those who believe. Are you thankful that Jesus Christ has welcomed you? Are you thankful that God has opened his arms to you and through the death of Jesus Christ, through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, he took the initiative, he sovereignly made a way for you and I to be welcomed in to the throne room of God? This is unbelievable. This is remarkable truth. Without Jesus, we are dead in our sins. Without Jesus on the cross, we are condemned to hell. Without Jesus, oh, you better fear COVID-19. Without Jesus, you better fear the, 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 this life ending. Without Jesus, you better be afraid. But with Jesus, we have hope. We are not afraid because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He's welcomed us in, he's saved us, he's forgiven our sins, he's cleansed us from every impurity, he's called us joint heirs with Christ, he's brought us into his redemptive plan for the world. What power is in the cross? What power is in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and those that have received him? and turn from their sin and put their trust in him are saved to the saved in the room. Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and he looked at his disciples at that final Passover meal, instituting a new meal, 
one we get to participate in right now. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, the Bible tells us. And as they were celebrating the Passover and the blood of the sacrificial lamb that delivered them from the angel of death that swept over the land of Egypt, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood. I am the sacrificial lamb. I am the ultimate and sufficient sacrificial lamb. Drink and find cleansing and remember the blood of the lamb shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And for those of you that are in this room right now, and you heard me say, this moment is not for, follow, uh, for people who are not followers of Christ. This moment right now is for people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. What I'm about to say to you, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have not turned from your sin in repentance and put your faith in him, God loves you so much and he gave his life through Jesus Christ to deliver you from the bondage of sin. You can come to Jesus today and have your sins forgiven and be given a fresh start. I'm gonna pray. If you wanna pray with me, and maybe there's even one in the room that wants to offer themselves to the Lord, you can do that right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blood. We thank you for the cross and I pray, Lord, that you would help those of us who have received forgiveness to remember the beauty and the power of the cross. But for those in this room that have not turned from their sin and put their faith in Christ, I pray this is a moment of clarity. Oh, sovereign Lord, let this be a moment of clarity for those who need to put their trust in you. All the believers in the room, just say a prayer for one, two, three, maybe 50 who don't know Jesus in this room. Show, show God how much you believe in his power to save by just praying, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, save them. Let it be so. We love you, Lord. Change us more and more. Make us more like Jesus, the one who gave his life for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. If you agree, loved ones, say amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.